Hey guys, welcome to the debrief. After our episode with uh, Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon, David, that was kind of a, a I'm not gonna lie, a dream episode for me. I've wanted to talk to um, talk to talk to Chris a few times. He's been on my list, but then Mark for a very long time, and uh, first crypto podcast that I know of that Mark has ever done. So pretty cool. And this is this is somebody who's like just been in the history of the internet since inception, right? Like woven in and out of the history, and certainly left his mark. Um, yeah, you know, that's kind of the advice he leaves 22-year-olds with, and I feel like he's really followed his own advice, is find out where you can contribute. Well, this this guy contributed to the internet, which is probably the greatest, one of one of humanity's greatest technological achievements, like, like bar none. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that has earned him a place in the history books, and so it's just such an honor to, to talk to him. Some factoids that came out, particularly near the early uh, part of this episode that I didn't know, uh, so Mark actually received a grant from some, the U.S. government to start his work on Mosaic because the internet didn't have a business model. Can you imagine this? Back in the early 1990s, everyone's like, well, I guess we're going to have to publicly fund this thing because no one else will. There's no, no venture capital, no one funding internet technology. So he literally got a grant from the public goods of the U.S. government to start his work on Mosaic, which later became uh, Netscape, which, of course, unlocked a whole lot of business models on the internet. Uh, that was that was a really cool fact, and so many others. What were some of your thoughts? Yeah, I think you might have missed it, but you used the line "Mark left his mark." Uh, so good, good pun, good pun. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the the it's so I guess ironic that the early days of the internet had no investment in it because there it was no money baked into the internet. So people were like, "Oh, there can't be any." business models on the internet because there's no money there. Yeah, it must be a public good. And now I'll fast forward, what, like a little over 20 years later and there's literally money embedded into the internet. And not only is there (laughs) money, but the the existence of the internet itself can just birth new currencies and we can birth new money inside of the internet. It can raise capital itself. Right, it creates its own capital (laughs) Apple inside of it. So it it, it just shows like how far we've come on this whole thing. I think my, my takeaway, and I was thinking about this while we were talking to him is that we go from read, we go to read, write, and then we go to read, write, own. Uh, and as soon as we go to the own part, we start talking about like governance structures, like governance being the meta problem of all of humanity, right? Like if humans can get governance right, we can literally get everything right. We can have perfect resource allocation. We can live in a a, a Star Trek future. And so to me, it definitely like seals the progress of the internet from web one to web two to web three. There is no web four, like web three is it. It's the last iteration of the internet because there is no thing to go to after read, write, own. There is no more, there's no further verbs after this. Uh, and so web three, looking back uh, and from our future vantage points, we will see as web three as like the final culmination of the final layer of this tech stack of the internet to produce the full manifestation of what the future of the internet becomes. How does that take land with you? I actually don't know about that. I hmm. think there will be a Web 4. Uh, and by the way, I have a token to sell you. It's a new <laughs> I was Web just 4 about protocol. to say, dude. Like, yeah, was, well, let me guess. It's an L1 blockchain, bro. <laughs> no, dude. It'll be like, it'll take a long time. This is like, Web 3 is going to be it for the next 10, 20 years at least. I think there will be some other things on top of But yeah, I do think we have some of the core verbs, right? And so the other way that Chris painted the, um, you know, read, write, own model using different terminology but one that's maybe less less kind of computer database centric or whatever is like the internet of information and the internet of publishing being web 2 
and then the internet of ownership and that's where we are we're building this property rights system but you're right there is this thread this this through line of like human governance problems invading all of those layers and but even web one and web two because still web two is just like who has the right to consume information right who has the right in web two to propagate that information how about how about freedom how about censorship all of these things and so in previous manifestations of the web we started to see governance issues kind of surface uh and now here they are in the in the ownership internet as well and they still they still kind of persist i do think that um internet protocols like tcpip and the credible neutrality of them and you know protocols like bitcoin protocols like the internet are kind of an unlock of a new governance right. primitive for humanity right. though like something that is scalable in the way that other public goods that are not human created are kind of scalable that means like they don't make arbitrary decisions as to who gets access to what and i do think that is we didn't see much of that in web 2 but we are seeing these protocols make a resurgence in Web3. Uh, and uh, that gives me hope. But it's also true that we're still going to wrestle with a lot of these governance issues, probably for, for, for humans until the end of time. And yeah, just to lean into that, there are many, many protocols out there that are just generally largely governance removed uh, that are like critical to human flourishing. For example, the metric system is a protocol that we use that we use to measure things and like have science because of that. And like there, and actually there, there, there actually, Ryan, there is actually governance of the metric system. Did you know that? So like every, I didn't yeah, know that, you know, every few years, yeah, tell me about that. And I've got another one to add to Yeah, Every there, I read an article about like the sheer amount of just like uh, capital. I, I'm going to butcher this article, but like people wanted to like, People were debating about how long a meter actually was. Uh, and so like people were like trying to fork the, the a meter and make it go like one, <laughs> one millimeter longer or shorter. And like a bunch of capital like went into like people trying to debate like how long a meter is. Uh, but it, it just goes to show like how important like credibly neutral protocols are down to the point of just like scientific measurements. And then of, uh, once we reach consensus as to what these things are, like we just forget about them. They fade into the background uh, and we just just use them over and over again without really considering how there is some sort of consensus as to what is true behind them. Uh, and they just yeah. be, embed themselves into our lives. That's a good example. My other favorite example that we, we don't think about uh, enough, but we use all of the time. It's a technology that humanity discovered, I don't know, 30,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago, 200,000 years oh, wait, ago. I think I have a guess. I think I have a guess. Yes. Language? Language. Language yeah. Uh -huh. Like the ultimate communication protocol for our species. Like right. the thing that, that, that we do, like so our superpower as, you know, um, I, I guess more advanced apes, arguably right. more more advanced apes. Like our superpower is uh, coordination, right? And how do we achieve that coordination through communication? And how do we achieve so much of that communication? Well, at first it was through our voice, it was through language, and then later through through written word, right? And then from that written word, we can actually produce better governance protocols. For example, we can we can create laws, we can write those down, we can create constitutions for how larger groups of humans can organize together and achieve something like a nation state, for, for example, or a democratic republic, which is the constitution of the US. And so communication and language being a core protocol, but the, the base of it is it's, it's largely decentralized. Right. I mean, like, what does Miriam Webster actually do? Right. I mean, a lot less now, but like when I was a kid, I guess they had the final say on what goes in the dictionary. 
but it's, also, it's lagging though. It's lagging. It was lagging. Yeah. They just had to respond to a new word that a whole bunch of humans developed right. and actually probably one human developed and then mimetically spread to the rest right. of humans until everyone else is using this word right. to describe a particular thing and it becomes part right. of the English language lexicon or some other you know, uh, geo-specific lexicon. What a beautiful, what a beautiful emergent, uh, decentralized, credibly neutral technology. Like, if you want to get your word in the English uh, dictionary, you know what you have to do, David. Uh, use it a bunch and get it into embedded into other people's brains. Exactly. Yeah. You have to meme it. You yeah. have to get a whole bunch of other nodes, human nodes, to start downloading that word and using it. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing with bankless, right? right? Let's let's start right. using this term to describe our crypto journey going bankless, that sort of thing. We have to earn that as a word in the dictionary. And sometimes, maybe, maybe sometime we'll get in there. We're probably in the urban dictionary already, I hope. And so we, we can actually, we will get take this. Uh, I have a path for the, getting this conversation back on track to, to the Chris Dixon uh, podcast. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, and and, and so, that. like, as we um, as we have all of these like credibly neutral protocols, uh, like at first we created language, then we created like you know uh, words, so we could write it down. Then we created ledgers, units of measurement. Eventually, we fast forwarded to the internet, and we have just these protocols that like no one disagrees with, that are just a part of our lives. Uh, and one one thing that uh, these are all tools, and they make tools. They're tools for making things extremely explicit. And so the internet is helping make the rest of the world extremely explicit, right? Our democracies now more or less are decided by what goes on the internet. Like discourse goes on the internet. We talk about things on the internet. Uh, and uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite tweets of 2021 was talking about the art market and the NFT market. People talking about how degenerate the NFT industry is because like we're spending, spending like millions and millions of dollars for monkey pictures. Uh, but somebody made this comment of like, well, you know, what if the art market is all has always been like that and blockchains just made things more explicit right. and getting th getting back to the governance conversations about how like this is us. Mm. We are speed running hit money of history and finance. Well, now we are making governance extremely explicit where. Uh, in the United States, we have, it's a democracy. It's, it's one person, one vote. But no one believes that shenanigans. Like, it's, it's, it's pay for play, right? But the pay for play is not explicit. Uh, and with the governance innovations that we're bringing to the table in Web3, we are making the pay for play part of governance extremely explicit. And we can actually control that that part of it, that uh, side of human coordination. And when you can make it explicit, you can you can harness it. You can put a lasso around it and direct it to where you want to go. Uh, and so when we were talking to, to Mark about just like the next era of, of the internet and how uh, Web3 will allow for just like a, an explosion of human flourishing, to me it's because we are making more forms of capital explicit. Uh, and we are allowing people... To, to opt out and to exit of the bad explicitness and opt into the good explicitness. And that's what I was thinking about when he was talking about that whole part of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other line of conversation too that we could like build on top of, which is very much what crypto does is it doesn't try to like, I feel like um, laws and kind of the nation state and the analog world constantly tries to like put their fingers in their ears and pretend like that's not going on right. no 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 it is it is a democracy right. capital has no role right. to play in kind of lobbying and getting po politicians to make certain decisions they just they cover their eyes they put their fingers in their ears and they imagine it's not happening um whereas at, in, in crypto world we actually see it explicitly like we see it on chain you can mm -hmm. you can bro we just put a post uh, in today's uh, edition of bankless um called um how to how to get bribed through governance tokens, right? And right. it's like, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's also what you're doing. 
Uh, and we're making all of these things explicit. And what can we do once it's explicit? Well, you can take corrective uh, action through iterate. better protocol design to m decrease the bribing, decrease the corruption, decrease the shenanigans. And or you could just wrap a lasso around it, lasso around it, as you were saying, and like harness Moloch, harness the human greed, right? Like harness the, the, this raw potential of number go up and get it to do things you want it to do. And that in some ways is the story of Bitcoin. It's the story of Ethereum, right? So Ether number go up, that means more security for this global settlement layer. It creates a public good, a, secu a, a secure public good for all of these things. And so... You know, that, that's a really cool angle. We didn't talk about that, though, in the podcast. So it's like, you know, d different levels of depth. But what blew me, what blew my mind high level is I, you know, I'd heard it and we talk about it a lot. But like, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't around at that time when Mark was like building. Like I was just, I was a super young kid. Right. And like, so, um, but to hear from him, all of the similarities right. of the Internet in terms of like the doubters, in terms right. of the pushback on cryptography, right. okay? Like, imagine having to ship Netscape. For anything outside of the US, it was censored because we can't allow SSL, we can't allow cryptography inside of our browser, something that we all take for granted. That that was the climate and the system uh, you know, back in the web one. My God, like, this is exact, we're repeating the exact same thing right now in these debates in Congress about you know, cryptography and decentralized finance and you know tokens and all of these things he must just be having the most fun just like because yeah like i said in the in the intro like uh history always rhymes right history doesn't repeat perfectly like well, we're not doing web one we're doing web three now but the the degree that web three resonates with the path of web one is so strong so to the point where like he's he, he's got to be sitting back just eating popcorn being like well i've seen this movie before i guess so yeah. it, that, it must be his good nature because i'd be a little tempted to be like super smug sitting back right. in a rocking chair right. just being like you guys are all idiots. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually how it goes and like yelling at people on twitter but he doesn't do that instead mm -hmm. he sort of you know, sees the inevitable outcome and tries to invest in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like w with that perspective, like it's no surprise that A16Z is so massive. You literally have a cheat code of like, it's almost, fe it feels like he can see the future. It's unfair. Right. Yeah. He can read the future just because it, how well it res it's resonating with the past. Yeah. I mean, he said this, some of his mental models as well. It's like software eating the world. And this is, we didn't even talk about that, but this right. is, um, this is software eating the the banking system, the money system, the, the trust layers. This is software eating property rights, mm -hmm. everything that impacts. Um, what were your thoughts on, you know, I guess all of the things that uh, this unlocks? So this whole new ownership economy, it turns on, you know, um, like the other thing we didn't really get into, but it's like some of the criticism of um, some people will look externally and say, yeah, A16Z and you internet bros from Silicon Valley uh, you are you are the reason the internet sucks right now. You're the reason we went off course. And mm -hmm. now here you are coming back in and you're saying, nope, we got the fix. We call it Web3 right. and we have some tokens and right. we have a $4.5 billion fund. Uh, what, what do you think about this? Like what was what was, what was was Dixon's and uh, Andreessen's response to that? Yeah, I, I think it's just like, um, he did mention that the what the value of Web2 has brought to the world is like by and large good in relation to what it, it what is bad. Um, and I think they would agree with me if I said that Web2 has approached its saturation point and so now returns on... Do, do you believe that's true? Do you think Web2 has been more net good than oh, net bad at this point? Hugely. Hugely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Like so do I. Right. Twitter. I, Facebook. I don't know that. I don't know that that is a thing everyone believes though. Right. Especially the younger folk who were not raised before Web two was even a thing. Just like yes. Web two created the useful internet rather than just like the the quirky internet, right? Like yeah, it, it's it like, mainstreamed hey, yo, like, the internet. We couldn't do this right now right. that we're doing. Bankless couldn't exist. Like, like, like Web2. We wouldn't have met without Web2. I would say Web2 was a massive democratizing force of information and capital. Uh, even though capital wasn't even embedded into Web2. Like you can be an influencer on Instagram now. That is a job. Right. And like how many people have that as a job? Never mind how like Zuck makes a bunch of money. It still makes a bunch of jobs out of people like Substack. Newsletters get spawned out of Substack. Bankless gets spawned out of Substack. Like the amount of like cultural expression as a result of Web2 stuff is just a, an immense explosion. How would we do crypto without social media, without Web2? Right. Yeah, it would it would, like, it would probably become super centralized because like the 10 people that was able to navigate web one, if Bitcoin was invented in the web one era, would capture all the Bitcoins and all the, yeah, and all dude, the ether. I, look, I'm telling you, there's no David Hoffman in my like local city of like right. that I could like start a <laughs> podcast with and go like to a coffee, like go record right. with, right? right? Like we had to meet because of web two. Mm -hmm. So, but, but I will say a lot of people don't necessarily believe that, right. particularly the younger people. It's it, popular it to shit on web two. It reminds me of this kind of debate where, where like people are just like, um, it's super popular to also shit on capitalism, yeah. like to the extreme. And of course, like if you've listened to Bankless, you know, Dave and I think like capitalism has flaws. It's a flawed system. It's not perfect. There's lots of flaws, but like to just shit on the whole concept of property right. rights. Right. I mean, like there should be no property right. and there should be no money. Right. And like you are, you know, coming at that angle without having looked at the alternate try times in history where we've actually tried that thing or like before we had these things how 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 things were uh it, it reminds me of that some of the vitriol against web 2 but anyway i i interrupted your flow so let's take it that web right. 2 is a good thing mm -hmm. so yeah what does that mean right but we are also the ratio of good that web 2 is building into the world versus the bad is like Maybe it could even be like a past its inflection point as in like now the growth of Web2 actually does create at this point in time, maybe in the last like one to two years, maybe even more, four years, but doesn't really matter. Uh, maybe we are at that point where growth in Web2 actually does produce negative outcomes more than it does positive outcomes. Uh, and there should be no coincidence that around that point in time, Web3 starts to come about and the growth in Web3 fixes stuff proportionally to how bad the web two is. Uh, and so uh, as it becomes very, very popular to complain and critique Mark Zuckerberg and, and censorship on Twitter, it should be, there should be an equal and opposite reaction that like web three, web three fixes this, right? Like web three reinvents the internet, the title of the podcast. Um, and so it's, it, there's just like a, a serendipitous timing of as the returns on the, on net value for society from web two uh, starts to become negative that the growth in web three starts to turn into a hockey stick that's not a coincidence yeah i agree with that and i don't i don't uh, believe the kind of the cynic perspective that this is all just a narrative pumped by a whole bunch of you know kind of vcs right. to uh you know increase increase their holdings oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, well in fact like a whole bunch of the like vcs weren't involved in bitcoin they right. thought it was a scam zero, for yeah, I don't know how long. basically zero right. were and like well Ethereum. Right. I don't think no, any VCs no one, were in Ethereum. 
I mean, no it created actual... VCs, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> like no actual, no actual VCs were like just in the in the pre-sale um, as like entities. And so, yeah, this is this is kind of risen up from the ground the way the internet the internet did. I mean, Bitcoin didn't have a business model in the early right. days. It didn't even have a value right. in the earliest days. Right. It was just like, oh, right. here's something cool. We're publishing this. Yeah. That was all cool. So, like the the other thing that um, was interesting about Mark's early days is. Uh, I don't think about it that often, but it is it is the case that there was this fork in the road. This, like, I remember Microsoft, Bill Gates, they wouldn't even call it the internet. They call it the information superhighway because right. wanted it to be Microsoft, a bunch of others. From my database broadcast, you know, cable, like, I don't, I, I believe in the concept of the internet, but it's going to take the form of the information superhighway and it's going to be like, a group of centralized um, companies that kind of permission it and like roll this thing out the way broadcast network does. And that was a competing vision to this open, permissionless, ugly, organic thing that was hugely inefficient because it consumed way too much bandwidth because it was using like text protocol rather than binary systems. And the engineers were calling this com- completely like inefficient. Do you remember that? Um, it was like a, a PhD, master student, computer science uh, dude um, called out Web three or called out crypto on uh, on Twitter. We talked about this a few a few weeks ago, and he said something to the effect of, "Someone asked, are there any use cases, real oh, yeah. use cases for crypto?" And this guy replied, "Guys, to it." And he's like, "I, as a computer scientist right. professor of some prestigious uh, university, can certify and attest that there's absolutely no good use case, <laughs> no performant use case." Or uh, crypto technologies, like end of story, right. period. There, there's no like, computer science problem that, that crypto that solves. solves. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> missing the point because right. we're not solving computer science problems here. Right. Like this is the world's slowest chain, except that it provides, it's the world, world's slowest computer, except that it provides something none of the other computers do. do and that's ownership. Trillions of dollars of wealth. <laughs> Censorship resistant ownership. Yeah, uh-huh. Like that's the thing that can't be copy and pasted here. Ima- imagine thinking this. that like the the uh, like the trillions of dollars of wealth from a computer science like experiment is like a bug. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like oh, that's yeah. just a weird outgrowth of a terrible computing problem. Just don't ignore no, that. <laughs> it's tulips. It's dismissed yeah, as tulips. Yeah. It's dismissed as human <laughs> speculation like our baser nature and like, there's n- no further due diligence that goes. Anyway, the same sort of criticisms happening, you know, in Web One, where there's no use case, it consumes too much bandwidth, it's poorly engineered, and like we just, or like, um, why would you need the ability to spin up a website right. on your own? It's like, why do you need the ability to issue a token? It's just so analogous right. that I can't even blow it. Blow here. Here's what I'll say. It blows my mind that people are missing it. <laughs> like, because, like, literally 30 years ago, we saw this happen. Now it's happening again. Almost the exact same, right. just like different terms, different analogies. Instead of, instead of information, we have ownership. Like, just port that into your brain. And, like, how can you miss this? How are people missing this? Mm-hmm. I, I do wonder, because that guy did, did the whole, like, oh, I have a CS degree from Harvard. Like there is also at the same time like very anti-credentialism in the crypto space, and I think I think Mark is is on that side of things as well, where like credentialism is just kind of broken, where like if you are a person who 
abides by credentialism. Like you're a little bit too like tunnel visioned into your one specific thing to be able to zoom you're out. You're predisposed to miss it. Yeah, you're predisposed to miss it because you've, you're so zoomed in on like your credentials and like what you are yeah. an, an expert in as like, well, I will gatekeep my particular industry. So don't tell me that like blockchains are going to fix computer science because I know computer science and like blah, 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 blah. And like on the, on the other side, on the complete inverse side of things, I would play somebody like, like you and me where we like know a little bit about a lot of different industries, but not, we're not experts in any particular one. So what do we do? Like, we podcast about it. Uh, and and uh, that actually maps on very, very well to the crypto industry where uh, crypto, crypto industry isn't one particular uh, domain. It is its own domain, but it's a collection of like so many other domains. And that's why I really appreciated uh, talking to Mark is because like he brought up so many books from history and like lessons, lessons from this history from like hundreds to thousands of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and then also from short-term history about the rise of the internet. And so people that do really well in this space are like no autodidactic. No, right, yes. Per, per, Polymath. Perpetually curious. They read a lot. They know a lot of history. They can integrate a bunch of different information from a bunch of different uh, domains of the world. And basically the only common denominator is that they're good at pattern recognition. Yeah. Broad and curious mm -hmm. is one way. Like that, that, that is a common theme of like every, everyone, and they play video games. Yeah. But like basically everyone in crypto <laughs> yeah. is like broad and curious. Yeah. If you didn't play World um, of Warcraft, you played StarCraft, one of those two. <laughs> exactly. Or both, <laughs> in my case. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever play StarCraft? Oh, yeah. Of course I did play StarCraft. Okay, I didn't play World of Warcraft, though. I was StarCraft did you, and Diablo. Did you, okay. So like, uh, I know you're a little younger than me. Did you ever go to LAN parties? Every once in a while. Yeah. Land, you did. Land, okay. Yeah, LAN party StarCraft. You're talking yeah. like, I'm talking about like where. We would actually, like, in high school, I would actually, like, call my big-ass, right. like, CPU, right? right? right. Like, bring to someone's house, like, hook we'd wire up. these things yep. together, we'd hook it up, and we have a LAN party. Yeah. One of my friends had uh, multiple computers in, in his basement, uh, and so there was, like, a <laughs> LAN party just built into his basement, and so that was a oh, frequent man. place. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Those are the days. All right. Sorry, sorry, Zoomers. We lost the Gen Z crowd for a minute. Um, all right. What else? Okay. So they raised $4.5 billion. What are they going to spend it on, David? Um, my bags. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not going to buy ETH. I think they're yeah, getting, that's this is, such this a shame. It's such a shame. Like they can't buy ETH. Well, if, 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 I mean, all you have to do to get, is just send a letter and say, buy ETH instead of invest. Like they have to add some value add somewhere. So. That's what I'm saying, Ryan. So. We should start a startup who is basically just a roundabout vehicle for buying ETH. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this what Michael Saylor is doing yeah. with Bitcoin? Yeah. Except, except it's a public except, company. Yeah, except it's a public company. We should just do the micro strategy for, for startup ETH buying. Don't do that. No, bankless, bankless, uh, bankless goes public, and it's just like a, a big ETH, ETH balance bag. Sheet, that's it. <laughs> One yeah, giant ETH bag. <laughs> yes, you loan us your your, your bonds, mm -hmm. and or we we will issue bonds, and then we'll buy ETH. Turn it into ETH. We'll turn your fiat into ETH. That's a good business model. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Anything else? Uh, I think that's good. It's a lot of fun. Uh, bankless listeners, we hope you enjoyed the first ever crypto podcast that we are aware of with Mark Andreessen. Chris Dixon on Bankless, and uh, this has been The Debrief. Slap.